0: Hey everybody, on today's episode, we're gonna be discussing Tombstone from 1993. Uh, we do recommend watching the movie ahead of time. It makes the conversation more interesting to listen to. So Mike, what is Tombstone about? Oh, well, geez, John, that's a,
1: that's a hard question. I mean, it's just such a complex, intricate, morally ambiguous, abstract movie. It's, it's an existential tale. So I guess if I had to summarize it succinctly as if that's even possible, I'd probably say something like, boy howdy partner, it sure is good to move to this beautiful desert cesspool in nondescript western America, let's find gold, no let's start a gambling den, oh wait no no, bad people, we're no lawmen, stay out of it, pew pew pew, bang bang bang, pew pew pew, bang bang bang, JK, there's gotta be some law, cause I was personally affected by gun violence, pew 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 pew, pew! bang bang bang, bible verse, bible verse, revelation, bible verse, light Latin, Latin. I'll be your huckleberry, good guys win, bad guys murdered, everything's right in the world. World except for my drug, dead, drug-addled wife, because she croaked in the closing credits, and no one cares. Woo, cowboys!
0: Wow. I mean, Mike, that was honestly the most accurate answer to that question we've ever had on this podcast. I decided to play it straight this I, time. You, you said it. Yeah. That, that's that is the movie. That was the movie. That was it. You all don't even need to watch it now. You already got it. That's it, baby. Uh, well. <laughs> That's it Welcome to This Film Could Be Your Life Not my first rodeo, John Eva Welcome once again to This Film could Be Your Life, a movie podcast where two friends take the movies that they love way too seriously. Uh, as always, I'm Jonathan Devine, joined by my friend Mike Overstreet.
1: I'll be your Huckleberry, John.
0: You get, you can't... You already did the... the can't ba- stop, um, won't stop. We're also joined... This week, we're also joined by a friend of the show, Nick Peepmeyer, previously on the uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse episode. Thanks for joining us, Nick.
2: Glad to be here. woo I thought about going... And, and, Say when.
0: <laughs> I, was, I was just about to say thank you for not doing a cowboy bit Ooh, as your intro. Too bad. I'm going to be
2: a bad guest.
0: <laughs> Burned all of your goodwill. If it's not obvious, uh, you guys should know because Mike told you the whole movie. We are discussing Tombstone from 1993, an American Western film directed by question mark, George Cosmatos. We'll get into that. Written by, <laughs> written by Kevin Jari. Uh, stars Val, excuse me, stars Kurt Russell, Val <laughs> Kilmer. Almost put Val Kilmer's name as first As you should there. have. Anyway, as maybe you should. Michael maybe. Bean, Powers, Booth, Robert Burke, Dana Delaney Sam Elliott, Stephen Lang, Bill Paxton, Jason Priestley, Michael Rooker, Billy Zane. Billy. Uh, Mike's favorite, Charlton Heston. Uh, just a great, great, great uh, cast. We'll get to that in a second. <laughs> Always have. <laughs> The movie is loosely based on real events that took place in the 1880s in Southeast Arizona, including the gunfight at the OK Corral and the Earp Vendetta Ride. It depicts several Western outlaws and lawmen, such as Wyatt Earp, Willie Ambrosius, Johnny Ringo, and Doc Holliday. It was a success and has become a cult, follow, excuse me, a cult classic since its release. Uh, when we talk about movies on the podcast, we usually start with our own sort of histories with these movies uh nick is the guest of the show i'm curious what was your history of this movie obviously i think all of us were born in the 90s i'm gonna go ahead and guess you didn't see it in the theater is no I, I i would
2: have been three i think <laughs> yeah. when it was in the theater so i didn't i didn't go right. but wouldn't have stopped
0: uh mike from taking his case. that's right that's all I'm hey. that, that's true
2: that's true um I definitely did see this movie when I was younger, and it is one of my favorite movies. And I listen to podcasts about, like, Western history. I like cowboys and cowboy movies. I think they're pretty great, even if basically pretty simple at their core. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, how can you forget this one with the one of the most all-star casts of ever? Ever.
0: Yeah. Lots of it. I think this one we're obviously gonna get into it, but in the in the long history of westerns, I think this one is special for a lot of things. Some of them are good, some of them are bad, but it does have its own kind of reputation and its own kind of status. Um, I would also bet you too. You said you like westerns despite them being simple. I kind of think that's like that's kind of the best thing about it, right? That that's what I want to come in come into this for is something that you can kind of turn your brain off and not really have to think about it. Yeah. Um
2: I, which is sort of or go ahead. I I definitely agree. It it like I think like the spaghetti western and like the old seventies, eighties kung fu movies, they're kind of the same. They yeah. set the yeah. premise yep. of good guy, bad guy, let's go. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's funny. And, uh, that's actually a good segue, John, if you don't mind me jumping in. Um this is go ahead. this is exactly where Nick and I diverge as we often do with films is like, I I don't, I generally speaking, don't like this genre. I think it's telling that my favorite one is unforgiven or assassination of Jesse James by the Robert coward or coward Robert Ford. Um, that just tells you all you need to know about my tombstone. Yeah. Or that's what I was coming around to. (laughs) I don't know when I saw this movie, probably college. It's kind of weird. I literally have no recollection. I know my dad didn't introduce it to me, which is kind of strange because that's where I saw most Westerns, but as much as I do not like this genre broadly speaking, I think this movie is an absolute beggar. And I thought it was like the first time I saw it. I still remember being introduced to Val Kilmer largely through this movie. I'm sure I had seen um, well, Top Gun before and stuff like that. But this is like one of those first performances I remember seeing in college where I was just like glued to a character every time they were coming on the screen. And I'm sure we'll talk about it more. But there's just something about Tombstone that it transports me past my kind of oh, distaste is too strong a word, but my lack of interest in what usually is the spaghetti Western or just the simplest simplicity of some of these modern Western movies.
2: Turn now we can be friends again. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: This will be rules. <laughs> I mean, it's,
1: like, it's, it's, it's one of the things that Nick and I have definitely good bought you landed the
0: plane that I didn't realize the stakes were so high, Mike. If you had said the wrong thing, you and Nick would have fallen out on if the podcast. Nick and been great audio. If Nick but, and I's you know. friendship was based on whether
1: we shared movie tastes, it would not be good. <laughs> <laughs> no, <that's>
0: good. <laughs> we have a couple of huge overlaps though, and this is one of them. That's, you know, I think this movie does bring a lot of people together. Certainly, I think I, I maybe am a middle ground between the two of you. I'm pretty, uh, you know, not too strong of an opinion on, on Westerns one way or the other. Um, I think of the three of us, it sounds like I might have the most affection for the spaghetti westerns. I just really, really enjoy them. Just to kind of put on, I I like the slowness of it. I love the cinematography of them, the wideness, the openness Mm. of it. So in that sense, I think there's an aesthetic appeal to me that's always been there in in westerns. Um, But it's it's sort of counterbalanced by the violence unappeal, which Mike knows is, is one of my things that I... I kind of go back and forth on how I like violence in movies. I think what's funny about Tombstone and now I know what this says about my own sort of dirty or the dirty of movies in general, is whenever I did see it, it was it was definitely later in life, uh, you know, somewhere around college. At some point, it just kind of came up in conversation that this was a very highly regarded uh, Western, and I was like, yeah, whatever, we'll give it a shot. Um, so the first time I saw it, I, I walked away finding it like really gratuitously violent in a way that was off-putting on the rewatch. I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. And I actually found it. I, I just really enjoyed rewatching it in general. Uh, well, maybe fast forwarding a few scenes just from sheer boredom. We'll get to that, but <laughs> it's a great movie. Um, but I, I will say that I think it's really surprising to me that I ever thought it was like gratuitously violent. Yeah, yeah. Cause it's actually mostly pretty reserved. Yeah, It is. Um, in a kind of '90s, like gratuitously violent way, you know, where it was like we're not, we're we're not going to be like it's it's not gory. I guess it's not RoboCop. There, there's a few, yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. Yeah. Great comparison. It's not RoboCop with seeds of dudes getting just like you know blown up from bullet hail, right? It's just like oh no, there, there's some guys getting shot. There's some blood and some very red, unrealistic blood in certain long death scenes that just keep going on and on and on shout out to bill paxton we'll get there but i think overall I, I just walked away like yeah it's a great movie it's not it's an uncomplicated movie um and uncomplicated to enjoy in a certain sense okay. which is why we'll now devote you know one and a half plus hours to talking yeah yeah, about yeah. It. can i ask can um, i ask you a question before we get to the categories i uh, yeah. uh
1: what happened to the western you know i don't think we've really had a big western film since assassination of Jesse James. And even that wasn't a box office success. You know, like what happened to this genre? Why do you think it fell out of vogue? I mean, I was going to say like, is John Wick the new Western or the modern Western in terms of like Hmm. the duality it creates and the showdown scenes and, and those kind of cinematic uh, excesses. But, but uh, yeah, it just feels like this was a staple of cinema for a very long time. And now I can't remember the last Western that came out.
0: I mean, I think it's a really good question. Uh, I'm curious what Nick's thoughts are. I I would just weigh in real quick that I think a huge component of that, Mike, is that the building blocks of Westerns never actually left, I would say. Mm. And at a certain point, while the scenery of it, I think, maybe got a a little bit old feeling and a little bit stale, I think a lot of filmmakers just took that DNA and it became one of the most Cross applied sort of storytelling approaches. I think, especially if you consider prestige television mm. in the last like twenty years, you know, going all the way back, They're justified you say and stuff all like that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, and even like outside the setting, I think you could make a straw case that's one of the most influential genres. If you think of like Breaking Bad or even The Sopranos, anything with an antihero at its heart, mm. I think, in a certain sense, owes something to to the Western genre. So I would say, like, for me, it's not that I ever died. It's just that we became a little bit over the setting to a certain degree and had to find ways of of mixing it up. Yeah. Um, is, is how I would look at it. Nick, do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I think 310 to Yuma, the oh, remake, yeah. was yeah, the was. last one that I remember being, like, the, the big box office western. But maybe it's because, like, in the 50s through the 90s, there were people tagged, like, Sam Elliott is the Western yeah, actor.
0: Sure. Yeah, yeah. The Western w- actor. Yeah. Like,
2: I don't, maybe it's because people don't get tagged the same way, where maybe back then you used to be like, you're the Western guy, you're the white hat, you're the black hat, do the thing. And uh, maybe we're just farther removed from the, the West being where, like, the American legends are from, and we got yeah. past mobsters and we did all that. So maybe it's just a shift like that. I think we'll probably still see Westerns, but we don't have people that are like the old Clint Eastwoods and Sam Elliott's and stuff that are like the Western guys to keep making Western movies. Can I, can I share yeah.
1: a harrowing thought that just popped into my head that I'm not sure if this is true? This is very half-baked. <laughs> um, is it alarming go, go for it. that this framework is now just usually done in movies set in the modern day or in the near future? You know, if we're looking for like a lawless... Yeah. Horrifying place where, like, you need someone to come with a gun and stop the bad guys. Like, it's just now just kind of like set in Detroit. I don't know. That just like popped into my head. It's kind of alarming.
2: Yeah, we're a half step from Mad Max, baby. <laughs>
1: yeah, Mad Max. That was actually the first thing that came to my mind was Mad Max. So I was just like, yeah, that's like a Western set 10 years from now or whatever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> set tomorrow. I don't know if this is too real too fast but there's a amazing youtube uh, essay from this guy that that named jacob geller who makes this amazing work and he just had uh, uh, an episode a few weeks ago titled art in the pre-apocalypse oh, no. talking about art right now <laughs> oh no and it's it's actually extremely good high recommendation he talks a lot about video games that's his main focus but he he dabbles in a lot of other things uh, so I don't know. I've been thinking about similar thoughts too, Mike. Okay. We should Good all get here. hockey pads.
2: <laughs> <Yes>.
0: <laughs> we'll be, I, I'm ready for the Mad Max world. I think I can. I think I'll survive all well there. Um, Mike. Also, I was going to say, No Country for Old Men yeah. is also there a Western. Go. So just throwing that out. Oh, You know they're always kind of in
1: your there. favorite. True Grit. Boom. <laughs> Sorry. Your favorite movie, True
0: Grit. Boom. Ah. Jeez, Jesus. Jesus. How dare you bring that up on this podcast? <laughs> Nick, what do you think about True Grit? Don't answer. The that's Coen a trap. Brothers?
2: <laughs> well, I can tell you that I didn't like No Country for Old Men. Oh, God. So, so I'll Jesus. just deflect. That's All a right. way hotter take. We need to
0: move on. Oh, that was move so on. hot I wasn't even ready for move it. Move on. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> Nick, Nick. I, I I want to invite you back for the No Country podcast just in. to see the sparks
2: fly. In. I'm just gonna. It'll be, I might be like. The, I haven't seen it in a long time. I might like it now.
0: I'll be the referee. I'll just let you and Mike in the in the ring. We'll just we'll just let this. One just play imagining out. Nick being like, well, it's no green berets or something
1: like.
2: Oh, like it's a, <laughs> Commando <laughs> is a much better it's example so, of an American <laughs> hero. <laughs> oh no. Okay, I'm in. Commando? Book it. Book it. <laughs>
0: Tough times. (laughs) Okay, So uh, the way we talk about the movie in this podcast, we divide the discussion into a few different sections. We're going to start by talking about why this movie works, get into what maybe holds it back, talk about some stray thoughts we've each prepared and then much later have a discussion trying to dive a little bit deeper into some of the implications of the movie. Uh, But we start with what works. And I think there's quite a lot that we could talk about. We'll just kind of go around and get everyone's different thoughts. Uh, I actually want to start the first thing that I had written down, and I don't want to go too much on a tangent with my setup here, but I I think there's this really interesting thing you see in a lot of artistic mediums when there's a huge technological advance, um, you know, like black and white movies into color movies, uh, 2D gaming into 3D gaming. And then I think in the 90s to 2000s, you have this practical big budget filmmaking transitioning to digital big budget filmmaking. And what often happens in that transition is that the production values sort of regress in terms of timelessness and in terms of watchability because the new medium is so different that you have to learn all of these things, yeah. right? To be able to manipulate it the same way as um, the what you were used to, to working with. That's a lot of setup to say, I see this movie as one of those like pinnacle 90s um Production practical, big-budget production movies, right? It's got, you know, obviously, I don't think there's any digital effects in the movie, probably. There might be a, a, some small things, but probably not 1993. Uh, it's just so physical, I guess, for lack of a better word. There's a physicality to it. Everything looks real. There's these huge, huge, huge wide shots of the landscape and horses riding in front of them, and it's all a little bit hokey, a little bit romantic, but that still works on me just because it's so unique, right? In the last 20 years, you know, as often as not, we don't make movies like this anymore. And as much as like, you know, just to be clear, I think digital filmmaking did catch up in the last 10 years. Sure. We're, we're all yeah, we're yeah. again seeing really like like visually splendid things. But uh, does, does that comparison make sense where it's like, you know, you have that 15 year, 10 or 15 year dark period where we just lost a lot in terms of our big budget filmmaking. And this movie is, is again, part of that, group that is just so it just makes me nostalgic I guess for that mm-hmm. that like very very solely practical filmmaking. It's so good at that and um I'll stop talking but really quick when they go into the town and even just like the camera going around Tombstone and I'm just saying they're like yeah, they built a town. Yeah, man. Right? That's what you're looking at. You're just looking at the town. And they don't do that anymore. So I kind of I miss that and there's a, there's a lot to that that I think is actually really I, I really like seeing um, now, you know, especially nowadays. Any thoughts on that production design in general?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, on one hand, you could talk cinematography because I'm with you. The, the sprawling shots. I mean, this is what makes yeah. the Western, right? Um, if I go to a Western movie and it does not have some shot of like Utah, you know, in a sprawling landscape at sunset, I just don't, like don't I don't care. Um, my family actually yeah, just went on with the dotted clouds yeah. and everything. My yeah. family went on a driving trip through that part of the country this summer and, and watching this movie, it's just like it brings me right back. And this is one of those movies where they shot it on location right where they needed to. They didn't skimp on that stuff. And you could tell it adds so much. It makes it so timeless. It's so beautiful. Um, but, yeah, I think we often, you know, outside of the movie Parasite, John, we rarely talk about set design. And this is one of those movies That is so well designed in terms of, yes, the the set, but also costuming and and props. The whole production design of the look of the film is really awesome. It's just really good. In fact, there's an amazing wiki quote I just want to read real quick, and then I want to hear what you have to say, Nick. But (laughs) I'm just going to read this straight. Cosmatos was highly focused on accurate historical detail, including the costumes, props, customs, and scenery to give them authenticity. All the mustaches of the movie were real. They just don't make films now like they talking, used to, boys. Oh, yeah, the mustache thing. They yep, make now them like talking. they used to. But, yeah. Now you know, digital effect
2: awesome. mustaches out of movies. I know,
1: exactly. They Make them green and take away their mustache. But.
0: How far are we fallen? Yeah, but the mustache thing is, like, actually incredible. It is. Because there's a lot of facial hair in this movie. I kind of don't believe it, but I don't know. But it is. Hey, side oh,
2: tangent, yeah. did you know that mustache song from A Thousand Ways to Die in the West is a real song?
1: No. That's fantastic. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I did it.
0: I've never seen it. <laughs> it's uh, not great. Is that a recommendation? That recommend- okay, Western. that's not a recommendation. <laughs> Nick, do you have any thoughts on the production design uh, or the 90s feel- practical filmmaking?
2: This does feel like one of the most distinctly 90s movies, but not in a bad way. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it feels totally like this was when they really nailed it, and then it went downhill. <laughs> But, we
0: lost the plot maybe as the as the decade went on, but yeah, at the beginning.
2: But they're they're doing pretty good. I like all the practical effects. Mine, I know the blood you're talking about that just kind of looks like weird gel blood, but
0: yeah, especially given the fact that he's in the rain and, and it, it does A lot that I don't buy no. about that seed, yeah. But uh, we'll get to that. The <laughs>
2: actual set design. They're really riding horses. They all have their six shooters and, and big hats. I think they nailed it. The a bunch of it takes place in saloons and pool halls that are all made of wood. They they invoke what you think of the Western being.
0: Yeah. And 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 just as one small thing too, you kind of mentioned a little bit, but costuming also is incredible no, it's throughout great. the movie. Yeah. And um I think it might have been nominated. I'll have to check that. But yeah, I, I think the production's incredible. Um Nick, actually, why don't you go? What what, uh, what do you have for why this movie works?
2: So I know the director actively made it. So traditionally in Westerns, usually the John Wayne and his crew wear the white hat and the bad guys wear the black hat, and that's how they started. So the director made the choice to identify the bad guy gang with the red sash, and I think that was really smart. It got you on board immediately, And then it allowed you to be like, if I see anyone with a red sash, I'm going to kill him. Like, I think that was such a wise choice to give us the blatant white and black good versus evil that that the traditional Western generally needs. Yeah,
1: I think. Yeah, I I think it's, it's. Go ahead, Mike. No, yeah, I just think that's smart, too, because like whenever I watch those old movies, it's like, man, it sure is convenient that like you know people are wearing color-coded like full outfits like where'd you find a white suit in the wild west right um and this is just like a much smaller way to do it and it feels like almost a more grounded way to do it in a way that actually like probably happen, which is just hey the ones with the red bandanas that's the bad guys so there is like there's a way in which it does declare delineation between the two without making the bad guys seem almost like inhuman in their absurdity in terms of costuming does that make sense
2: and it lets each yeah. one of the bad guys be a different character, yeah. not just a black hat.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool.
0: And I think the characterization, the different characterization of all the, you know, so many of the bad guys, so many of the characters in general is is such a key part of making the movie feel so big in scale, right? And so grand and everything. Um, so that's so important as well. Um, I so badly want to talk about the cast uh-huh. just based off of that line. Uh-huh. It's okay if we... Can we die? Can we die? I'm upset there? this wasn't the first thing that came up, but we can move past it. I'll forgive you. I mean, the. <laughs> I mean, I think it takes the the reason why Mike is because the movie has, a, I think, at least two or three scenes before we see uh, Val Kilmer, and really that's the point at which you have to start <laughs> yeah. talking about yes. the acting of the movie. I'll be
3: your Huckleberry.
0: Um, actually, let... <laughs> <laughs> Mike, would you actually like to go ahead and, and start off the conversation about the cast? You can start wherever you want, but oh, I just kind of teed you Oh come on. The...
1: Yeah. Well I'll start wherever I want. Oh, let me talk about Michael Bean. I mean I love Michael Bean in this movie, but no. No, we're gonna talk about how dare I know. you know. Yeah. We're gonna talk he's a hey, patron saint of this podcast, Michael Bean. Uh, but yeah, Thank you. Kimber as as Doc Holliday, just like my God this is this is Keith Ledger's yeah. stuff in terms of like holding a screen whenever someone is on it this is this is all time performance kind of stuff and I think he's far and away the best part of the movie. Um, I have a couple of just lines just to throw out there that captures the swagger that captures the line delivery that encapsulates the way in which he is the classic anti-hero, but he is so charming and he's so deceptively cruel and so dangerous like he's a he really is almost like a like a jackal where he's like smiling at you but you know there's death right around the corner and Valcomber just embodies it and almost everything he says like even the silliest moments flipping around a, a tin cup like overflows with menace right um and yet he's also a hero yeah. and I think that's just such a hard uh, razor's edge to watch but yeah just a couple of my favorites you know there is the amazing line at the opening scene of the poker where he says, you know, Ed, if I thought you weren't my friend, I just don't think I could bear it, right? Uh, that cracks yeah. me up. When he's talking to Billy Bob Thornton, it says, oh, Johnny, I apologize. I forgot you were there. You may go. <laughs> awesome. And then a one that I would never try to parody myself that we'll just have to cut in here, John, is the classic, most famous, most amazing line
2: of the movie. I didn't think you had it in you. I'm your huckleberry. Why, Johnny Ringo, you look
3: like somebody just walked over your grave. fight's not with you, Holiday. I beg to differ, sir. We started a game we never got to finish. Play for blood, remember? I was just
0: fooling about. I wasn't.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's, I think it's my favorite Western scene of all time, and it's entirely because of the way that he delivers lines. Like, it's not even an action set piece. It is a talky little monologue, a uh, little back and forth, and my goodness, does he hold the scene?
0: <sighs> does he kill it?
1: I love this man. He's amazing. Discuss. Discuss.
2: Nick, do you want do you want to take it? I mean, this is probably the best Val Kilmer role ever. Everyone loves Doc Holiday. Yeah. I love. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Everyone loves quoting Doc Holiday, especially me. Um, I don't know. Do we? How much? I think everyone's favorite character is going to be Doc Holiday, and it's not That's close. True. So it's not. Go ahead. I mean, I, I'm, I'm tempted to just move to the next character who I really like, but John, go <laughs> well, do really some quick. Doc Holiday.
0: Yeah, really quick, I'll just weigh in too, without wishing to repeat too much, I think it just elevates the entire movie. Yeah. I think it's the kind of, it is the kind of weird thing where it's like, you know, without wishing to be too harsh, I think this is very much a B-plus movie. And then for some reason in the middle of it is like an A-plus all-time performance yeah. where you just, it's the first thing I think of when I think about the movie um, I actually think he has essentially all of the best lines of the movie it's not close Mike didn't say my favorite one so I'll go ahead and sneak that in here he's talking with some of the cowboys while um, they're contemplating or, so, he's talk, sorry he's talking with some of the federal posse um, someone asks him like, hey why are you doing this and he says
3: wide is my friend well I got lots of friends I don't
0: So that's just incredible. right? I think that's like so much from a character perspective, I think it's, it's, it's good writing. I guess it's worth noting, but he just imbues this, this larger than life wild character like this character shouldn't work, should be like overacting central. Like he's sick the whole time. He's coughing. He's dying. He's also the fastest hand. He's also the best fighter. He's also the most charming. He's also the most intimidating. This should be a train wreck, and uh, Val Kermer makes it the best part of the movie by far. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's incredible. Nick, which actor did you want to do second? I'm, this will say a lot, actually. I'm very curious what direction you would go.
2: Well, I'm not going to pick a fight with Mike right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm going to go with. <laughs> I'm going to go with. I really like the dude who plays Curly Bill Brocious.
1: Yeah. Power's power. Speed. I think yes. he's.
2: I think he's the better villain of the two because he's, like... Interesting. I think he's the better gang leader. And, like, I love the line when, um... After Wyatt's brother... After Morgan dies, and he looks at him and he goes, It's over. And he just goes, Well, bye. And I think that that's just, like, a (laughs) stone cold. Stone cold. (laughs) But it... I think he feels like a. I think he feels like a villain leader more than Johnny Ringo ever did.
0: Yeah. So wait a second. Are you criticizing Ringo's ability to lead the cowboy camp? Because I could agree with that, <laughs> but I still, but. I also am still gonna say I am. Well, wait, we're still in what works, so I'm not gonna criticize. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna politely. I
2: didn't know I was I'm gonna just... pick a different fight this early. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So my neck next... <laughs>
0: There's a lot of fights to but be had in the characterizations of this movie.
2: I think maybe I think I your your thought process has to be this. So like Curly Bill is the main villain for Wyatt.
1: Yeah, he's the big bad. Who's
2: right? supposed to be sure. the big bad to yeah. the big good. And I think you just love Val Kilmer so much more that you're like, Johnny right. Ringo's the better villain because he interacts with Doc Holliday more. Yeah,
0: so uh, let me... And he has that long thing where Doc Holiday compares the two of them, and... Yeah. Uh, he wants revenge, what for? For being boring, yeah. like, great lines like that. But, uh, but he's fair. still better
2: because that. of Doc. He. I don't think he's inherently the better villain.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, but well, he is Michael B.
1: Mike, what do you got? Well, I think. I think... I agree with. I mean, Curly is just a great big bad. I think. Um, the only thing I would say negatively is that I don't quite buy that he's ever done opium before based on his
0: reaction to taking opium. Um, <laughs> sure. Really the, strange. The drug
2: scenes were <laughs> not, they're in the don't work section.
0: Forgot that. Is that when he uh, goes around town shooting people? Yeah, in, like, yeah. Just the, not really what opium yeah, does yeah. to the mental, the mind.
1: Anyway, um, it was like LSD more than anything. Anyway. Um, but I think he's great. I think he's like perfect he's a good balance of being like over the top spaghetti western villain without being like scene chewy. And and I actually kind of agree with Nick. I think I like Michael Bean in this movie more, but unlike Val Kilmer, I don't want him in this movie more. Because every time Michael Bean's hmm. in this movie my boy, and we'll talk about him in a second, my boy be chewing up the scenery. He'd be a dog. He is just like, <laughs> he has some lines that are just like, Jesus, no wonder you only say like five different lines in this movie because every single one is either in Latin or you're quoting Revelation or you're screaming for blood and souls. And it's so perfect for him as an actor that I actually, I, I really think I like Michael B's performance more, but I could, I strongly believe that if he was in this movie for like four or five more scenes, it was the center of a shot four or five more times. I probably would start rolling my eyes by the end of the movie. Um, he yeah, is, he's, he's batting at Johnny thousand.
2: Ringo's Johnny Ringo's almost the more over the top character that can't be in the movie more and not curly bill. Yeah, dude. <laughs> sure.
0: You know, Mike and I like a, a podcast called the rewatchables that has an award for character that feels like they should have, they came from a different movie. And I guess what I could concede, now I, I so I, the Hill I'll Die On is I find him more fun to watch. Yeah, so ultimately I, I will always like the Michael Bean character more. What I will accept is that he doesn't feel as true to the toad of the movie. Um, definitely is more over the top, more wild. And, and I think that compliments certain characters, but I, I guess I would agree it's mostly just complimenting Doc Holliday. Uh, well, that, that, I actually that, kind of felt otherwise. Go ahead. No, so that, that's a key point, though, which is it, there is a f-
1: really interesting contrast that, you know, maybe the more serious side of this movie that uh, Kurt Russell thought he was making, uh, which is a, a historical epic and it's the parts of the day, whatever. Uh, there's a reading of this movie, which is that, you know, if you consider Val Kilmer and Michael or Johnny Ringo and Michael Bean's character to just be like the the hounds of the good guy and the bad guy there's something really interesting which is like Val Kilmer is the controlled but dangerous like guard dog right and Michael Bean's just like a rabid animal in this movie and I think that make I completely agree with you right. I think he is more interesting I think he's more fun I actually love him in this movie but I think if you have just like a rabid dog barking and slob- like slobbering and going nuts on every single scene of this movie you're gonna get tired of it eventually it's gonna become a distraction and I mean, do you, guys just, sure do you want to just dive into Michael Bean, John? Since I know he's your, he's like Jesus for you. He died for your sins. Th- he is the patron saint of the it's podcast. True. We need to shout that out.
0: <laughs> we need to establish that. It is true. I think, I think we've said almost everything you could say about his character. I think there's a lot of, you know, he just brings a lot of charm for that kind of character. He's surprisingly good. The one thing I did write down, I was curious about your guys' thoughts. Is Michael Bean a better villain actor than than good guy actor? Because to me, his two most memorable roles, like and most people, I think would probably say Terminator. Sure. For me, this movie and The Abyss are like my Michael Bean pantheon hall of fame. You know, Mount Rushmore. I think that is his performances that certainly he seems to be having the most fun in. Um, he's a little bit st- when when he plays a good guy. I feel like he gets a little. He's a little staid. Like he's not bad. He's just a little bit like I got to play the super virtuous and I think what he kind of lets loose is what he is just a lot more fun. Um I don't know. You guys mean if you don't have strong opinions on it then it's okay, but i am kind of this movie made, made me think that just because I was having so much fun with him in this movie, right? Yeah.
1: I could listen to him quote from Revelation for days. So maybe he should be a priest. I don't know. Never seen him in that role. Is that Is he that all be. it takes,
0: Mike? You just got to Throw in some revelation,
1: yeah, some and, Aladdin. And, I there. don't know. No, I, I, think, I think there's something there. I think he's a, mm, no, I think he's a self-serious man who takes acting very hmm. seriously. Um, I think, yeah, I don't. You know, I wonder if he thinks he's big over the top in this movie. That's a whole other conversation. I, I like him better as a yeah. villain because it deploys some of his natural unhingedness that from all the documentaries I pick up as being like very innate to him and his personality and just how he approaches like life and cinema. I think it it funnels that into a way that's like more entertaining. So
0: I think there's probably something. Yeah, I I could agree with that. I I could be on board with that. Uh, Nick, any thoughts on, on the bean hive?
2: I think he's a great villain. He's, he's a good heel. I like his crazy over the topness. He's even got like crazy looks in his eyes when he's being crazy he he does a good job as the the foil to doc yeah
0: yeah he does do the bugged out thing the eyes thing all the time oh my gosh it's crazy (laughs) like that's his that's his like go to -to. he's like you gotta be a bad unhinged guy we got this just watch what i can do with my eyes and Um, now real
1: quick before i move on i john i just need you to cut this end
3: what do you want ringo
2: i want your blood i want your souls and i want them both right now i don't want any more trouble
3: Well, you got trouble
1: yeah so i said think we could get past bugged out michael bean without cutting into that scene because it is like pure it's bulging scene. It's eyes scene.
0: screaming michael bean and i love it <laughs> um honestly just in terms of cast like i don't know if i necessarily need to deep dive on anyone else I think that there's a lot of really, really good performances in this movie. It's really crazy. I wrote down it's arguably an ensemble cast movie. If you just think about the depth of having like, like Billy Bob Thornton is like a bit character, right? He's in one and a half scenes. Thomas Hayden Church is just a random kind of cowboy that kind of dies at the OK Corral. It has like, you know, 10 lines or whatever. Billy Zane is an actor that gets killed off screen and then we see him and it's super emotional. (laughs) Do you guys ever remember that Billy Zane is in this movie? Like no, ever, Casper. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> like what? <laughs> okay, good. Can you know I, re- his moment really, really passed. What, what was it? I
2: only. I do want to spotlight one more actor because we mentioned him oh. earlier, and I think it was really smart to have Sam Elliott be yeah. the older brother I love because Sam he's Elliot, the no. quintessential Western like good guy, and he's the one who starts them back onto the law, and I think that was all really smart. To make it Sam Elliott. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Is this, I I don't know enough about Sam Elliott's career. Is this the beginning of his Western thing or it can't be? No, No. he goes back forever. Forever. I think
2: he was in like a hundred Westerns or something before this. It's a bunch. That's yeah.
0: I always think about, I first saw him in um, the dude. What's that movie again? The big Lebowski. That was where I always first, first encountered. Absolutely. Uh,
2: incredible work.
0: Um, no one wants to talk about Kurt Russell.
2: Uh, I will talk about Kurt Russell and how good a job like he did. I like Kurt
0: Russell a lot, actually. I, I'm kind of playing up the bit because I know Mike might have some huh? interesting thoughts. Uh, but Nick, Nick, why don't you take us take us into Kurt Russell land real quick?
2: Well, I'm I'm number one fan club, Kurt Russell Hive. um... I I think I understand what Mike's problem is going to be. And it's going to be that Kurt Russell is just playing Kurt Russell from every other movie. But I also like that character. So I think him being (laughs) the main good guy, like he was the main good guy in other movies, was really cool. And I think that he doesn't do as bad a job as Mike's going to say he did. But when he's in so many scenes with Doc Holliday, it's hard to be like, oh man, but Doc is just doing a better job. But I think if if you were just focusing on Kurt Russell, it's not that bad and he's a great hero and he did a good job and Mike's wrong.
0: <laughs> such a, such a uh, pointed uh, argument at the end there. I'll, I'll go on record. I actually really like Kurt Russell. I think he's pretty good in this uh, movie. I think he has a slightly... I think he has a slightly thankless role because, like, I I don't know. For my money, I don't think any actor in that part, especially opposite Val Kilmer, uh, is going to be the most enjoyable part of the movie. So the problem is when I'm watching the movie and it's like a heavy Val Kilmer scene, or excuse me, it's a heavy Kurt Russell scene, I'm just kind of saying they're like, okay, I, I get it. Why? If it's in the first half of the movie I, I'm like I get it he doesn't want to go back in he just wants to get rich if it's in the second half of the movie I'm like I get it he just wants to kill people and then go uh, get with this this actress lady I get it like your character is kind of super boring. can we please get back to cool Southern guy who says great things and is dying like that's that's where I want to be So it's it's not a to me that's not a criticism of him though I think he's actually playing the part really well like I think its kind of is just that part. It's just that it, it's necessarily the straight man of the of the story of the protagonist. You he's know, he's the, of the
2: Superman of their Justice League. Yeah. And like we
0: all know Superman's less fun than Batman. And so it is what it is. But he's not playing it. <laughs> and
2: Val Kilmer you know? was actually Batman. We so did it. Wow. Oh my we God, did it's it. It's
0: incredible metaphor we've ever had on this show. We should just retire.
2: Yeah. It's <laughs> the last episode. All right. Oh five stars on iTunes five and stars, we're out of side. here.
0: And, and we're done. Yeah, we're out. Uh, Mike, do you want to weigh in or do you want to save it um, for, for your what doesn't work? I want to first address
1: the slander of my name that's been taking place, which is that I don't, <laughs> this accusation that I don't like Kurt Russell. I love Kurt Russell. I think Kurt Mike Russell has always said, is I hate great. Russell. <laughs> this yeah. is not you? Um, I think, for the most part, I'm going to save it for the next section because he is not in this section for me. <laughs> um, I, I think on the rewatch, what I will say. Is that both him and Bill Paxton, and this is telling, that both of these both of these actors I love, and I would say of their good movies, mm. this is my least favorite performance by them. Um, and I think both, it comes down to the writing of the film more than the performance. Though Kurt Russell, I think there's a little something else mixed in there. I'm not entirely sure. He knows what movies he's in on at half the scenes that he's showing up. So we're going to talk about this more in a second. I like Kurt Russell. I like Bill Paxton. But you can feel that there are different desires for what kind of movie this is at uh, play in the production of it that I think comes through particularly in Kurt Russell's character.
0: Sure. And I think that that is going to come up. It will for sure. Oh, it will. Oh, it will.
1: I will have my day. (laughs) I will not be
0: slandered in silence like this. Wrong. (laughs) <laughs> That's a fair point, though. Oh. Um, before we leave, uh, kind of on a similar, like at this point, I'm really starting to, to walk the light a little bit. I think I, I, I don't, there's a lot of things not to enjoy about the character, but I do think Dan, Dan Laney does a pretty good job sure. as Josephine. Um, Dana Wheeler Nicholson also has Maddie. I guess a lot of fun. Great great thoughts on the character. Great thoughts on the character. Let me tell you that character is coming up, but given what I assume she had to work with, I'm going to say she did an okay job. You know, like it's, I'm grading on the curve of how the character is written and feeling like I don't think anyone could have written that could have played that character very well, which we will get into. She's designed Um, to be
2: unlikable. I think.
0: Yeah. Uh, also leads to some of the all-time greatest lines in the movie. But again, we will get to that. Uh, anything else for why this movie worked? Let's go. Uh, you know, uh, Nick, what do you got?
2: I really like that. They actually gave Wyatt Earp his bunt line special, big, huge gun.
3: I think yeah, they sure, like
2: sure. the 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 attention to detail on the props that they talked about, and that's one of the things that I think historically may or may not be true, but like at least in the dime novels he had the Buntline special, which was named after Ned Buntline, who's a horrible human. You should look up the Wikipedia, but it's a big, huge hand cannon, and he actually had it, and I think that's really cool,
0: yeah, I would say in general to to extrapolate from that a little bit. I think the movie actually does a really great job of sort of walking the line between outright realism and like you said, the kind of like dime novel
2: uh, the myth, you
0: know, genre fiction. Yeah. The myth yeah. making of the early 20th century version of Westerns. And I think stuff like that is a great example where they're willing to kind of dive into, well, this is the more like fun fictional idea of this, but then they're also, they actually have quite a lot of highly accurate aspects of the movie. So yeah, I think they do a good job of walking that line, you know, between those two extremes.
1: Yeah. I completely, uh,
0: Mike, do you have anything else? Why this movie works?
1: Oh yeah. I got a few. I got a few. Um, I mean, I think it's easy to shout out and this is cliche. This is true for most Westerns of this era, but the score is, is it does its job. It does what it needs to do when it needs to be fun and playful. It's fun and playful. When It needs to be dark or tense. it, It does that too. Um, I don't think it's like the best part of the movie. I wouldn't put it in like my top five, what worked about it, but I think it's a, it's a really effective Western score doing what they, what they generally ask of it. Um, When the script wants to be a genre movie, I think it is the perfect balance of historically grounded and over the top silly. Um, I mean, there is a scene in this movie where two cowboys have a laden off and it just doesn't get better than that. I don't think it gets better than that. That's cinema. High point of cinema. Am I right? Yeah, Um, we did it. Yeah, and then and then the last thing I would say, and if you guys want to talk about any three of these, be my guess, but the last one I had was when it finally gets to the fighting, and I do use finally there for a reason, hot damn, it is so good. I mean, the showdowns in this movie yep. are just like chef kiss. The first showdown between the Cowboys and Wyatt's group where Wyatt has to get sworn in and Doc's whistling as they walk towards the Cowboys and has like that great Western use of like the, the close-up. You know, where it's kind of leads to Doc Winking yeah. to set off the shootout. That is just like Western gold right there. Um, obviously, I love Wyatt's turn at the, the train station. I'm behind you. Followed by them hunting down the cowboys, which particular shout out to the guy who thinks he's getting opium and gets a gun in his mouth. Boom, that shot. <laughs> Just a wild thing to again, throw into again, that box. Great example. Walking the line <laughs> yes. walking
0: the line between, you know, the craziness but also the realism. That's where we're kind of playing with Exactly. The little, right? We're having a little fun. Exactly. And then yeah. and then obviously Holiday and
1: Ringo showed out is like a top five scene of like any Western ever. It might be a top three, top one. I don't know. They talk about Chef's Kiss. Um when he's yeah. and going back to Valcomer even a little bit, I always forget about him talking shit to Ringo while he dies and that cruelty streak comes yeah. out. Ooh, it is just it's just a perfect scene of characterization and action. So, yeah, I just love it. I don't know. Those are the big three. The score, you know, the script and then the shootouts are, are all things that stick
0: with me when
2: I come back to the film.
0: Yeah, totally agree uh nick do you have anything on that or anything else for why the movie works
2: yeah i I think i think the especially the main i'll call it the main three fights which is the okay corral shootout which it really focuses on morgan who looks super nervous because they talk everyone else has killed somebody and they're like you don't want to know what that feels like and then he goes through his oh man this was actually terrible um, And then I think the the shootout in the river, which shows like the wider Superman willpower, where he just is like, no, I'm deciding to win now. And I think that's very cool. And then Doc being the quickest draw and the Johnny, you were just too high strong. Like, I think <laughs>
3: so
2: I think those three fight scenes give everyone their character work. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a
1: really good point. I didn't think about
0: characterization being flexed through all of them, not just Val Kilmer's. That's a good point. I agree. Uh, Anything else just around the table for why this movie works? I
2: have a real quick one. I I really like at the beginning the, like, little black and white newsreel that's like, this is Tombstone where they had a bunch of money and they got all the French fashions. Like, I think... We don't get very many movies where they're like, let me set the scene for you in in a way like that. And I think it's very cool in a Western movie.
1: I legitimately had this in a, what didn't work. And then I got rid of it because at the end of the movie, I came back and read my notes and was like, you know what? I don't think I agree. I think it actually very quickly went through some stuff that for a movie that drags a lot of unnecessary stuff out, that was very efficient in a way I appreciated in hindsight, but I will say, and this might be a good segue,
0: John, to the next section. That was originally my what didn't sure. work. Uh, my first thing on what doesn't work about this movie, uh, the narrator in this movie is trash, and I hate it. <laughs> I hate all narrators. All <laughs> and then she and, died and of lead poisoning. <laughs> yeah, we got to talk about, and, and I guess what is reasonable, and what, what Mike has kind of made me realize is that, you know, I finished the movie, and I've just got, I've just had this incredible whiplash between, um, which maybe we should have put this in what, maybe I should have said this in what works. The Doc Holiday deathbed scene is probably my favorite, favorite scene. It's of amazing. Movie, actually. Absolutely it's amazing. Incredible. And it actually gets
1: you. Um, it actually gets
0: you. Yeah. It re- kind of comes out of nowhere. And I'm yeah. like, I didn't really think this was going to be emotional. Uh, but here we are crying in the club right now. Uh, the whiplash from that scene <laughs> to, dancing to... in the snow as they're like and his wife died of drug addiction <laughs> to, to why, what to why kidding the girl well and actually I'll even say when, when Josephine says don't worry my family's rich I that I was, was just like holy God, what that was the I've
2: most nineties thing to happen at the end <laughs> I know,
0: of the movie. It's, I think. So wild. It <laughs> it's just bad on a couple different levels, right? It's just bad writing. It's like also wrapping things up like way too neatly for a movie. You know, it's yeah. like, wait a second. Wasn't I watching like a dramatic but like, Western movie and not that's a the Western thing from 1946. Like it's, but that's what we're talking about. Right. Is that like the toad will be so con- inconsistent, which I guess is going to be a big thing we'll get into in a second. Um, I just also want to shout out. Mike already said it, but first line of the narrator at the end of the movie. The narrator comes back. You forgot about him. I had forgotten about him, and then he comes back in to tell us Maddie erp died of a drug overdose <laughs> a few months after leaving. To us. <laughs> I, still so it
2: I still think it works. I still <laughs> think it works. So bad.
1: I like Nick doubling down on this. Nah, that's how you should kill women in movies. <laughs> Off screen. She dies I mean, they off screen they
2: designed her character the... <laughs> to be so unlikable that they're even like, and so, she's gone now. And you're like, all right, check what, that box. Here's what I don't get.
0: It would have been better if they just hadn't mentioned her. Yeah, right. It. Like they could have just, yeah. Is that where you're starting? Well, no, Go so ahead, what I... I don't
1: get is why they didn't just make that like. So I feel like nowadays, you know, they'd have a scene where she dies or it would come up in like white text on black screen after the movie's over. It's the fact that he's saying mm. that over like a vision of joy <laughs> dancing in the snow, where it's like he's celebrating and he's like, "I'm happy again," and it's like, and his wife is dead from drug overdose, and you're like, "What the hell?" <laughs> What
2: is well, happening?
0: It's, its its wild.
2: Wyatt does mention earlier in the movie to Doc that he's like, "I know what I want," because she asked him if he's happy, and he yeah. basically's like, "Nah." So, like, I, I think it might that, even be better. Is... I'm tripling down that it's even better. I'm glad she than, died. That, I hope she burns in he's hell. He's like, "I get what I want, and she's gone now."
1: Josh, Nick, this is I truly a great
2: performance from you.
1: I need you to cut in <laughs> Samuel L.
2: Jackson yelling.
1: Uh, yes, she deserved to die. and I hope he burned. <laughs> I need you to cut it in. John.
0: <laughs> well, that's Nick right now. I actually, I'm going, I'm going to go ahead because in in talking about this, I've already kind of brought up what is my actual like single biggest why does this movie not work thing, which is that the movie has a wildly, wildly inconsistent tone. Um, I actually hadn't meant to talk about this at the beginning, but we sort of just, just dived right into the episode. Uh, if For those who don't know, this movie had a very troubled production. Yeah. It was written by Kevin Jari. He was actually going to direct the movie and for a week was on set directing it. Uh, in that week, apparently it became clear that he didn't know how to direct a movie. <laughs> and so they fired him, hired George Cosmatos of Cobra fame, and um, commando did he do commando mike i think so he did cobra i know that so 80s action guy george cosmatos comes in supposedly directs the movie 20 some odd years later once uh cosmatos and jari have died kurt russell comes out and says hey uh actually i did this i i, I made this i directed this whole movie i would give him like the-, the shot notes before we filmed i would give him like hand gestures so that he knew what we were going to be doing next I was the one who made this movie. Wild. Just unclear Wild. how much Bean, of that's true because there's not that many people to corroborate Publicly,
1: Also, I love that Bean is just like, that didn't happen. Anyway, go
0: on. Yeah. <laughs> I love the idea that Bean's burning bridges at this point in yeah. his career. Yeah, still doing you know, it. it. It's just like, it's, yeah, it's still, man, you got to love him, but so, it's tough sometimes. Real quick, one cor- um, one
1: correction. He did not do Commando, but he did Rambo, First Blood, Part 2, Cobra, Leviathan, Tombstone. Those were, that was his run, which is uh, a okay. great... Little action run.
0: It's a good run. Yeah. Yeah. Leviathan also weirdly underrated. Yep. Um, All of that being said, though, I think when you're watching this movie, you get so much. uh, It feels like from a storytelling perspective, there's kind of a kitchen sink approach where it's like the movie can't make up its mind. At one moment, it's like a slow, quiet, dramatic, Godfather-esque Western movie. And then suddenly, no, wait, it's not that. It's a gritty, violent 90s action movie and it's oh, no no wait no, never mind it's not that it's a plotting 90s television um dr quinn medicine woman drama where we're gonna have like like 10 minutes of a theater uh production in the middle of the wild west wait a second it's not that it's a bombastic wildly unrealistic cowboy action movie where characters are walking through gunfire and you know at every given moment i just feel like we're going off in all of these different directions of tone I assume that's from the production of the movie, mm-hmm. but it, it, it sticks out to me when you're watching it. I feel like it's very jarring sometimes. I think the last scene is the worst example of that. Yeah. But it comes up throughout the movie a lot. Where, where one moment it'll be this kind of tone, and then suddenly you're thinking, wait a second, how did we end up here? Where there's a melodramatic death scene that's going on way too long. And it just, it's so unknowing of what it is, if that makes sense. It, it, it's not very cohesive as a single product which kind of is fun but ultimately I think makes it worse than the more cohesive vision of the movie would have been um, any, Mike I, I know you agree with me on that Nick where are you on that do you, do you agree?
2: I think yeah first yes I agree I do think that maybe some of the tonal problems are this movie feels like it has a burning desire to pay off absolutely everything it set up yeah, like the thing dude, with Morgan yes. Earp where he's like, do you believe in God? I heard you see a light at the end of the tunnel Even just to Billy pay Zane that off in a really in long. <laughs>
1: yeah. <dead> yeah. <laughs> like, ah, innocent Billy
2: Zane dead in a coach. You know, like, I forgot about you. What? <laughs>
1: Innocence lost. It, <laughs> go on. Sorry, they then, do go the on.
2: book of revelations at the very beginning, <laughs> which is cool. But like they just have to pay off everything i cannot
1: believe they had him say it again like wyatt earth say it to the camera at the end ah it's so dumb anyway great opening horrible
2: callback horrible yeah you don't like the in hell's coming with me kurt russell i wish it had been one or
1: the other i don't like that they have billy zane like quoting the verse that it's from in the beginning just for him to like coincidentally bring it up again like Two hours later? I I wish it had just been Kurt Russell saying it, quite frankly. Um, I,
2: I will say that from the rewatch, I forgot about that first scene in yeah, Mexico. Yeah. So I remembered yeah. the Kurt Russell, I'm coming and hell's coming with me. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. It's the best. And then yeah. this time I more noticed their like burning desire to be like, well, we put this tea ball on the T. <laughs> Better hit that later. He's the apocalypse.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, it, I think there's so many things like that that just feel very ham... It's it's like a very ham-fisted approach to thematic storytelling, right? It's like, we need this to be a theme of the movie. Okay, let's make sure a character says that exact line earlier in the movie. So that, right, it just just feels a very haphazard. Um, Mike, do you have anything else to throw out on that in terms of the tone of the movie? Well, I think, uh, yeah, I think, Nick, honestly,
1: that's... that part of it the best in terms of the idea that there's it's just really trying to like tie everything up too neatly thematically in a weird it's weird. I don't really get it. Um, I definitely think the most obvious one for me is that it just can't decide if it wants to be like an epic like a romance epic or a spaghetti Western Um, every romance scene in this movie every romantic conversation is just weird out of place (laughs) awkward um, long like it and it makes sense if it's long in like a you know a gone with the wind or something like that right where you're gonna have these people like kind of romancing each other for a 10 minute scene because it's a four hour movie and it's trying to capture like fully a place and a time and embody it and all this stuff and and i mean i hate that genre mostly anyway just epics aren't really my thing but when you're kind of like doing that style in the middle of a movie that like again has a scene where a guy puts a gun in his mouth thinking it's an opium hose um I just don't really know what's going on. I don't really know how to feel yeah. it's confused uh, and it doesn't help that like I think and this is the last thing I'll say it does not help that the parts of this movie that I love so neatly and completely fit into the spaghetti Western bucket and the parts that I don't like so neatly and completely fit into that other genre bucket um it's yeah. it's almost like you're just like dang it I you just cut out one third of this movie and it's perfect so yeah.
0: Sure. Do you want to go ahead and keep going, Mike, on whatever you have for what doesn't work? Um,
1: I think. Sorry, go on, Nick. Yeah.
2: I I think I I know where he's leading you, but I got, I got a spin on it.
1: Yeah, go ahead. The, you're
2: gonna say <laughs> go you're gonna say this movie's too long, and yes. I think that it is both too long and not long enough, um, and I think that's because it didn't pick what kind of movie I it wanted to I completely
1: agree with you, Nick. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And amen
2: um like it's 40 minutes too long if it's just a get in get out this is an awesome western and then when you finally get to the revenge ride of Wyatt Earp it's all like eight second montages of him dismantling the cowboys you're like this should have been three movies yeah I don't know like you just didn't pick
0: yep case in point it goes back to that misunderstanding and inconsistency
1: yeah absolutely go ahead mike case in point the first shootout is an hour and 10 minutes into
0: this movie that's insane doesn't make any sense there's a lot of shootouts of this yeah Yeah. it's 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 just like what are we doing here yeah and
1: i mean it even goes back to the monologue thing if this is an epic you know what they're gonna do they're gonna show you what he's monologuing about there's gonna be a scene where the ex-wife dies there's gonna be like all these like these characters getting wrapped up because their stories were told. And like Nick is saying, it's an hour longer. And I actually think that works. Uh, you just have to pick a lane. And it, it, it it's, this movie falls apart. And I want to say falls apart because I love this movie, but it's weakest when it's trying to like straddle both those lines. And I, I just don't think it does so well. Um, you already mentioned Bill Paxton, the, the, him talking about dying and death. And you're just like, I, I think one of the most interesting parts of this movie is that he raises like the horror of taking a life but this movie doesn't want to grapple with the horror of taking a life at all outside of that one comment no. like it's not interested
0: in that not like, interested the in moral slides, ambiguity
1: yeah. of that at all so you're like why did you bring it up it's just strange man
0: it's strange yep uh, as long as you mentioned Bill Paxton I just want to throw out there Bill Paxton is one of my all time yeah. favorite actors I love that guy I love so many movies of his Mike already said it this is maybe my, my least favorite Bill Paxton performance mm-hmm. uh Tough times for your boy here. He's just, he just comes in. He's sort of, he's, he's kind of the most boring brother. I would say has <laughs> nothing to say? do a little and sure. then dies uh, and then dies in an extremely that honestly, I know I've referenced it a few times that honestly felt like the most dated scene to me, like the drawn out, like death, you know, he's blubbering through it. They're talking. He's having an emotional moment. Kurt Russell goes outside and literally screams in the rain with his hands covered with blood. I don't know. You know, I just think it's like, it's a tough scene. It's not very good. You kind of just want it to be over. And uh, yeah, tough times for Bill Paxton. Love that guy. And Um,
2: on that death scene that I agree, like I think Bill Paxton is the weakest member of the justice league roster here for sure. And when we talked about how good the practical effects were, that rain scene, you can tell <laughs> so they're just bad. hosing right over him yes. and, like, yep. ten feet back, it is not, like, raining Never at fine. all. Yeah. Yeah. It's the tiniest little cloud right over Wyatt Earp so he can cry with goo blood on his hands.
0: It is is—it is a little bit, it's, it's tough for me because I went on this, like four paragraph rant about how great practical filmmaking yeah, yeah, is earlier yeah, yeah. but this is kind of the drawback it's of like is it. it, you have scenes like that where it's, it's like that like, Ooh, scene Ooh. and when
1: they turn and look at doc holiday and he has like vampire blood down his face right before he falls off his horse and you're like what the hell dude <laughs> yeah. is that jello <laughs> did you guys that, glue jello to his face it,
3: <laughs> like, not so sure about those <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> Uh tough times Mike, do you want to do you want to go from there as long as we're talking about some of the performances and uh, and do your do your boy Nick dirty real quick and just, uh, you know, hate on hate on a, an American institution? If you just want to go for Kurt it, Russell it real quick, I'm giving is you the space
1: the worst actor in the history of
3: Hollywood. <laughs> it's
1: not <laughs> what I feel. I'll be the bad guy, though. I'll say it. I'll say what you two are too cowardly to say. Um, I don't think he's good in this movie and I'm not convinced he's in the same movie as the rest of the cast. I I think like him and Bill Paxton are off making one movie and everyone else is making a different movie. And the, the movie that Kurt Russell thinks he's making sucks. It's just not good. It's like... It's, it's romance focused. It's, it's morally ambiguous. It's not interesting. It's not fun. Um, I think he's too stiff. I quite frankly, and this is shocking because Kurt Russell is one of the most charismatic actors of the eighties. He is not charismatic in this movie. Almost every conversation he has with a love interest is literally like watching a bored act. I think a lot of other <laughs> actors feel natural in these roles and he feels like he's acting like us intelligent thoughtful actors should act in a western i don't really know i think he's particularly bad when grieving that paxton dies it's distracting and the last thing i'll say is all that being said the line where he says you gotta do something or you just gonna stand there and bleed is one of my favorite all-time lines of any western ever
0: Whew. yeah also Done. shout out to and it's weird we're talking about positive things now uh but shout out to because we may not have even mentioned it in what works but uh tell them i'm coming and hell's coming with me yeah i mean overwrought or not no kind of moments this, in is this is what movie, i mean huh? his one-liners
1: from a spaghetti western rule i mean they are so good yeah. he is so fun he is such a badass but he is in about 90 percent of this performance is in the wrong movie it just is i don't care about your fell in love at lurch <laughs> side bullshit. I don't care about you struggling with your wife's, like, opium addiction. I don't care, John. I don't care that you're covered in red goo and it's rating on only you, as we've always talked about. Those seeds are so bad, and he's at the center of them, and this is what I want. This is the last thing I say. This is why I wanted... I I hinted at earlier. I don't know if that's his fault. I honestly think that's a writing problem. I honestly think that's a muddled production problem, and I... I do wonder if part of it still, especially since he's gone on to declare he directed this movie like a psychopath, I do wonder if part of it is also a self-importance problem, where he just, like, wanted to make an epic, and that wasn't what the project was, and he just, like, misunderstood the goal. Um, Because there are some scenes, too, where his acting is, quite frankly, poor. Whew! I'm done. If you guys want to crucify (laughs) me, go ahead, but I feel how I feel. I have a (laughs)
0: follow-up. I have a follow-up question, but first I, I wanna, you know, just like debate rules. Like I just wanna make sure that no. We, no, we Nick follow already protocol got to say his here. piece. Uh, don't wanna hear from that Nick, clown. Nick what, Nick, <laughs> do you have any do you have any thoughts? Eddie, Eddie, what uh,
2: what is it that uh, what, what is, is
1: it that Doc
0: piece? Holiday calls Ringo as he dies a muffin? What does he call him?
1: I can't remember. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember. I, I,
2: I, I just remembered remember. going, Johnny, you were just too high strung. I don't remember what he yeah. calls it. Yeah, him yeah after Nick that. too
1: high strung.
2: Okay. Well I'll know. Well, one in this
0: conversation.
2: No. One wrong <laughs> 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 got
3: him. Got got him. You, Dang it. That's
2: that's it. I okay, I will give you I think the scenes that especially we all don't like, which I think the scenes where Wyatt is with Doc are cool because like Wyatt Earp is supposed to be like the stiff good guy Superman Lawman, so I like that contrast. And I like when he's just being a hero, one-liner, blaming people. That's all cool. And really, the scenes that suck are the scenes where he's either with Maddie, who's a character who just seems designed off the rip to make you go, I don't like her and I want this scene to be over, or Bill Paxton is Morgan Earp, who is the weakest member of the roster, so it feels like he's carried by the better members. Like when he's interacting with Curly Bill or he's interacting with Doc holiday, I think he's all cool. And then when he's interacting with Maddie and he's interacting with Morgan feels less cool. Yeah.
0: Sure. And I think that in that sense, he's kind of like the straight man middle center of the movie, right? That it's, he's kind of the least, it's like the Batman problem where it's like, he becomes the least interesting part of the movie sure. because all of the side characters in, are so interesting. Um, I could, I could see that. Well, but, Mike, Mike, what were you going to say? Uh, well, I, well,
1: one, I, I would like to just protest the, the fallacy <laughs> of saying he's good in these scenes, but not, but not in the, these other ones when these other ones are 60% of the movie that he's in. Um, I do, nah. I, he's at all the weakness, nah. Anyway, nah. Uh, nah. <laughs> but whatever, we'll just be bought from that. We'll just be like, oh yeah, that's valid. Anyway. Um, I, I, I do think, and again, I don't know how much to blame him for this. But it, it is hard when you're in a movie and you're like, well, you're out acted in the really great scenes because there's just like Val Kilmer there. And that's not your fault. But then when you're with a weaker tier of performance, you're not you also don't elevate the weak scenes. You know what I mean? And I don't really know what to do sure. with that. He's not pulling up the scenes that don't work as well. But it's like, well, at least Kurt Russell's in it. So it's better than it. I don't feel he ever I ever said that. But he also isn't um, being on par with like the truly great performance of the film which is Val Kilmer, which, again, I'm not going to hold that against him. I think Nick was very astute to point out that some of this is just contrast bias. He's going up against one of the best like performances of any character in any Western ever. It's not his fault that it's noticeable that he's being acted off the scene, right? Um, in sure. fact, the script is probably doing that intentionally because they want to highlight how cool of a character Doc Holliday is. But I, I do think it's at least a little damning that he, as a star actor, and he is, and I love him, does not elevate scenes that he's in that are poor. And I don't know what sure. to do with that. Yeah, I can, I can you buy heard
0: it. I can buy that. You heard it here first. Mike Overstreet doesn't like Kurt Russell. <laughs> he's a trash actor. I did have one, um, follow up question, Mike. So, uh, also one thing we didn't even mention in the production hell that was this movie. At one point, Kevin Costner was attached to yeah. direct and star in the movie. Um, Things went south, and that's actually why he made Wyatt Earp, which unfortunately I haven't seen. Never either. Which makes me unequipped to answer this question. Nick, have you seen it?
2: No. But I was gonna bring it up in Stray Thoughts, but we can just talk about it now. That they were released at a similar time, and this being too long of a movie at two hours and forty minutes, that movie's three hours and four Jeez, minutes. Yeah. Jeez. Which is why
0: so so the only thing I wanted to bring up here, I just had the thought experiment question. If you just took this movie and, and obviously this doesn't really work since like we've like we've been saying Kurt Russell direct basically directed it, but if you could basically just take this movie and swap out Kurt Russell for Kevin Costner, better, worse, or the same? What do you think?
1: I think it's the same, and this is where yeah, I, I, I will I will you think it's writing. Yeah, I just don't think anyone's gonna make the bad scenes in this movie that much better, um, and that is the sure. one thing I'll give to not being too hard on Kurt Russell is it's just like. I think he's great in the scenes where he is clearly in a Spaghetti Western. I, I think it's awesome. I just think he doesn't do that enough.
0: Sure. For the record, I also think it's the same, but weirdly for kind of a different reason, I think as a testament to how inconsistent the tone of the movie is, Kevin Costner, I think would have been so much better in a lot of the quiet drama. Yeah, sure. But he would never, if you think about, I'm, you know, tell them I'm coming, hell's coming with me. He never would have sold that yeah. on that level. Right. I watched him he try that the untouchables
1: energy. and it, it's not good. Uh, anyway,
0: <laughs> man, uh, untouchable slander. Just, I love the just Untouchables. Cust and strays out of nowhere. And I
1: think he's great. Jeez. He actually is elevates the somber scenes of the untouchables. But I think when he tries to go to 11, kind of when
0: he yeah. tries to go to 11,
1: you're right. He's not an actor who can do the Michael bean. <laughs> like, that's just not what he does.
0: Um, so, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Uh okay. Uh I just have a couple small things on what doesn't work. I'll just I'll just run through these real quick. Um Mike, ironically, this was actually a movie where I I, I wrote down a note that I didn't necessarily love the score. I think mm-hmm. the score itself is actually really good. I think it has a very nineties problem. It's ironic how much I'm praising this movie as a nineties movie, but also sort of berating it. Um it does have a very nineties score problem, which is frankly just dramatically overplayed there's a lot of scenes that i was like man i feel like this scene would have been great with like no score or very minimal score but it has this kind of early 90s thing where it's like we got to shoehorn in a very emotional score for a lot of these scenes sure. right and some and there's certain scenes like i, I keep going back to that death scene i, I just yeah, can't help it it looks bad like, that's why the, the Paxa death scene um very melt like the whole freaking five minute scene there's this very melodramatic violin score behind it that i'm just kind of rolling my eyes the whole time um just in general i think it, it, there's an overplaying problem again kind of a 90s problem uh but you know i'm okay with that uh i actually originally had this in stray thoughts and maybe this will just act as a nice little segue but i i ran out of room so i snuck it up here Someone says in this movie to Wyatt Earp, when they're trying to convince him to become a a lawman, they say, I've never seen a rich man without a guilty conscience. I just want to put it on record. I'm not totally sure if I agree with that one. I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like if there's anything happening in America right now, it's like we maybe have quite a few rich people who seem to be sleeping very well at night. So, uh, you know, I'm just not sure if I'm, I, I buy the, the logic on that one. Um... Again, probably should have been a straight thought, but I just wanted to sneak it in for why it doesn't work. Anything else? Why this movie doesn't work? What holds this movie back?
2: Everything just keeps pointing back to it never really picked what it wanted to be. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yep. I think that's the the cardinal sin of the movie. And I, I guess one last thing I will say, and then we'll transition to straight thoughts, is the, the the one kind of weird caveat to that point is that I think it also does make it weirder, which kind of aids the cultness of it. Sure. I think it makes it more fun to talk about like 30 years later because it is so idiosyncratic. You know, it's not unforgiven, which is just exactly what it sets out to be. Obviously, it's a better movie, but in a weird way, a movie like Tombstone is more fun to talk about because it's so wild. It's so wild in its approach, if that makes sense. Um, Not good. But, you know, I think there, there's a there's a fun element to that. Yeah, I think you
2: so. I think you would hit I think Tombstone hits on more people's. This is one of my 10 favorite movies lists than like Unforgiven. Sure. Which would yeah. be technically better. But you'd be like Tombstone feels like one of those movies like, hey, do you want to watch Tombstone? You're like, yep, I sure do. Yeah. yeah.
0: Do you ever sit down and want to watch Unforgiven? Probably. Not,
2: nope. 100%. <laughs> 100%. Uh,
0: cool. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back with some stray thoughts. Hey everybody, welcome back. In this part of the podcast, we have each prepared uh, five stray thoughts, and uh, we'll just kind of go around the circle. You know, we'll do me, and then Mike, and then Nick, and uh, we'll just blast through these. Okay, right, I'm going first. Uh, so when they're walking to the OK corral, like it's this really dramatic shot. It looks epic. It's the brothers. It's Doc Holliday. It's like almost feels like slow motion. Everything's great. The way that they look back at the randomly burning building in the background, to me, felt like a Mystery Science Theater 3000 thing. Where, like, I had the commentary in my head where they're saying, like, why is that building burning? <laughs> How long has that been? <laughs> like, it, like, they themselves seem to be reacting to it like it's a random, arbitrary part of the background. So I just wanted to shout that out. I don't know why that building's on fire. I don't know... It seems to the characters as well, to be just a random occurrence in the town at that moment. <laughs> so shout out to that building on fire. Great times there. <laughs> also, side note, I would, I would love an actual Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh, it would um, be a great movie for it, yeah. Watch through yeah. it. That'd be a really Disney. good yeah, yeah. one. I don't think they ever did do it for the bigger movies like this, but I think that would be just, just a lot of fun. Uh, Mike, why don't you go?
1: Uh, here, I'll just read it as it's written. Uh, true straight thought in the Strayest of thought form. The Cowboys is a shitty name for a gang and a football team. <laughs> <Oof>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: speaking, of, speaking of stray thoughts, some people catching some strays out here, Mike.
2: <laughs> Mike's just blasting everybody. <laughs>
0: just, just, just hating people right now. Dang. I, I, that's what the note said. I, I have to oh. read
1: the script. What am I supposed to do? <laughs>
0: Can't, can't fight it. Nick, what do you
2: got? Okay, I said I, I listened to Legends of the Old West podcast because I think, like, the history of Cowboys and Outlaws is really cool. When they first meet Johnny Behan and he goes, I'm the county sheriff and the tax collector and the leader of the fire brigade – that was all just stuff kind of the county sheriff did like part of being the sheriff was really like you wanted to be elected the sheriff because you got to collect taxes and you got to keep a portion of it. That's how you actually like made money. So like deputy sheriffs (laughs) wouldn't make a whole bunch of money and they'd have to walk the beat, but the sheriff collected taxes and kept a portion of it. And it was his job to also be a tax collector. So I just thought it was funny that he's like, I'm all these things that are really one thing.
0: It would be like if I said I'm the president and also the commander in chief, and someone was like, "Yeah, that's that's the that's right, the job. exactly." <laughs> yes, you did that. <laughs> I didn't know that actually. That's really funny. Shout out to that character too. Great slimy bad guy. Yeah. Uh, good time. Yep. It is. It is. Uh, this is just uh, this is just a little query for the table. What are our thoughts on Wyatt's strategy of riding a horse through the window of a barbershop and then shooting all the cowboys inside? Uh, I just just have a lot of questions. (laughs) I don't don't know if that's the most realistic moment of the movie. I don't know if it's the most effective strategy. I'm just going to say it. I feel like they have a lot of opportunities to kill him in that moment. Um, I mean, it's pretty
2: shocking. So if you're going for shock and awe, nailed it.
0: That's true. I didn't I didn't consider the horse that is, surprise is the most important element. Yeah, the horse
2: the is combat. basically a big flashbang grenade, and they're that's stunned. Good, that's a good point. And then he gets them all.
0: Old-time flashbang. Yeah, bang. but you don't usually ride a flashbang. You're not usually there with the flashbang. <laughs> Speak flash for yourself, John.
2: <laughs> 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 I ride Shadowfax, the flashbang king of the horses.
1: <laughs> oh, man. I'm for it. I'm here for it. Actually, it's funny you brought that up, John, because my next one's also a strategy question. Again, I'm just going yeah, to just it. gonna read what I wrote. I'm no strategist, but goddamn, Curly giving up the high ground to run into the river just to get shot with the shotgun feels like a misplay. Anyone else? When he's just like, I'm coming out, and he just like dies, and you're like, ah, weird way to go. Okay, cool.
0: I will say... You know, I I, I didn't put it in in what doesn't work because I actually I like the scene a lot. I think it's fun. I think it's great. But that is one of those moments where you also feel like, man, you know, it, it's been a long t- to get to John Wick. It's been like a long time. Yeah. You know, sure. you you have to get through action filmmaking has come a long way because it does feel a tad anticlimactic when, as Mike says, he kind of just wades in there and then his gun he does, he misses and his gun doesn't work and then he dies and you're like, okay. I was, yeah, it seemed like not maybe the best strategy on play here, but uh, who's to say? That's my note. That's all I got.
2: <laughs> <That's the laughs> so Nick, what do you got? So more, more like real facts that I just think are interesting that turned into legend that turned into the movie. So the fight between Doc and Johnny Ringo. So the Cowboys did have Curly Bill and Johnny and they were leaders, but curly bill wasn't the one a leader of all these outlaws historically he was just a leader and johnny ringo Mm -hmm. they don't actually know a whole bunch about but they did find his body in the mountains or that like mountaintop grove and they found him with a bullet in his head and most people think he killed himself but legend led to well Wyatt Earp and Doc. They had this big gunfight, and they obviously went back and dealt with Johnny Ringo as well. And that just kind of became an offhand legend that then turned into that cool scene. That's so interesting.
0: As the as the keeper of the knowledge in the circle, um, how much do you like? How much do you buy the the legendary side of all of these stories as opposed to the? by the fact side are you are you all in on this nick do you do you sign off on it
2: so there there actually are a lot of things that i think they got right um okay f- funny enough like one of the actual things that they know about is that that offhand comment from uh what's the oldest brother um uh, Virgil Virgil the the comment from Virgil or from Wyatt when he goes put Doc on the street howitzer because he's less likely to be twitchy that comment did happen and people heard it to like give Doc the shotgun so that's a real thing that happened on the way to it's the lot cool. near the I, okay I, I... corral but I wouldn't have thought that historians have also said that they wanted Doc to have the shotgun because he was a sorry ass shot. So it was like, give him a shotgun because he might hit something if you give it to him.
0: (laughs) That's a little bit... That kind of kills a little bit of the lesson. I know.
2: But then it turned into... Like, I think that the, the mix of... There were definitely a bunch of gunfights that happened in these, like, law towns, like in Abilene, where people like Wild Bill Hickok and Wyatt Earp, like, got in shootouts with people, and then they'd, like, open their coat, like you hear about George Washington and the Revolutionary War, they'd be like, man, there's, like, eight bullet holes in my coat, and I didn't get hit, yeah. and I got everybody else, so there is, like, an element of that that actually happens, or, like, we walked in the river and squared off, and he just missed, and I didn't, so I think, like... Yeah. That, like, becoming the legend, like, it usually gets bigger, but a lot of times it'll be like, I got in a gunfight with one person, and they didn't hit me, and I hit them, and then the legend goes, I got in a gunfight with 30 people, and I killed them yeah. all with six bullets, but, like... Like
0: a game of telephone, right? For it sure. It becomes, yeah. That's, that's still really cool, though. I, didn't, I honestly didn't know it had that much real going in it that's 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 good stuff
2: there's like little nuggets of like oh i i, I actually heard that in this podcast about history and that's really cool and when, then there's was there a, he,
1: was there an episode about the guy with the the opium in his mouth you could shot was that, <laughs> that was the,
0: yeah that was, yeah, it was What's it was, the read on that <laughs> where are the historians that felt like that such
2: one? a such a shanghai noon jackie chan owen wilson moment
1: yeah
0: except for when he actually yeah.
2: murders him I, like Oh yeah, I guess then he pulls the trigger, but he it's actually off screen. Does kill him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: it's brutal. That actually kind of segues nicely into uh, what story thoughts. Basically, Wyatt Earp has a much more complicated, obviously, legacy than necessarily the, the you know the movie would let on. Uh, I just want to read this. This is basically a direct quote from Wikipedia. Back in San Francisco, Wyatt. So this is after the course of the movie. Wyatt raced horses, but his reputation suffered irreparably when he refereed the Fitzsimmons versus Sharky boxing match and called a foul, which led many to believe that he fixed the fight. Uh, so first of all, I just want to say, like, uh, you know, these are, these are your heroes, America, these, <laughs> these cheating scumbags. Uh, but then I also wanted to say, uh, even though the movie's too long, kind of wish that had been in the movie now. What if it just became, like, a weird, like, Rocky offshoot, uh, but also a crime movie, because presumably, apparently, the consensus—it's Nick. Maybe you can weigh on weigh in on this too. From what I read, um, there's a lot of consensus that he probably did actually fix the fight. That was a really shady call, and his reputation was really damaged at the time. And basically, from what I read, until an exceptionally flattering biography was released much later in his life, and 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 you know, at, mostly affecting after his death. Uh, he was mostly known as like kind of the violent lawman, and then also the dude who fixed a fight one time in in uh, San Francisco. So I don't know. I feel like that could have we could have made that into the movie. No, you know, give 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 Val Kilmer. Uh, sorry, give Kurt Russell a little bit more to do. I
2: you know, I think. out there. I think what's interesting with Wyatt Earp is like you could have they were in Tombstone for like eighteen months or two years. It's not long. And, like, that right. kind of became, went, like, Wyatt Earp did this, but he was also a lawman in two places in Kansas, and that was, like, people like him and and Wild Bill Hickok and people who dealt, like, the Old Testament kind of cowboy justice, like, they were the, they were what was needed on the frontier, where they're like, hey, we can only afford to hire four lawmen and 400 cattle rustling cowboys are rolling through and getting drunk and shooting each other in the streets. So, like, uh, listening to the podcast about Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday and those guys, like, they did a lot of stuff that people were really cool with. And then they did a lot of stuff like there was a ton of stuff where they were competing newspapers that like one would be like, we hate the Erps And they write all these articles. Tombstone actually had two newspapers, one that was pro Erp and one that was anti Erp, <laughs> pro cowboy. And like, that's a little
0: it, too real. That's a little too yeah. like modern Dang day. Yeah. Like, modern so
2: day. like the they didn't they didn't show any of that and like they took people to court all the time for slander and like the um not curly bill who's who's the cowboy that they all call dumb um oh, he's oh, one yeah, of the yeah, two yeah, brothers yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, about... Stephen Stephen lang i think yeah yeah I mean, that's whatever, or whatever
2: whatever, or whatever. his yeah. character's name i can't remember right now but like they would they he actually like was caught stealing cattle and then Like, the ERPs caught him, and he's like, how dare you? And they took him to court, and the newspapers would back one or the other. So, like, his whole life actually wasn't black and white. It was like, you either kind of supported the way he did things, or you didn't. And I could buy that someone like that would fix a boxing match, probably because he needed money. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) that, that just came up a lot, where it's like, why'd you become a lawman? You're like, I didn't have another job yeah
0: it's fascinating it's fascinating stuff uh mike to your straight thought it's funny you brought
1: this up earlier john but uh i wrote this quote i've already got a guilty conscience might as well have the money too and next what i wrote dash john Devine's memoir so
0: <laughs> <to> <laughs> <you> please <laughs> man again too real i gotta say i'm not doing a great job on on getting the the, the finances side of things together, but. Uh that is the future. That's why I you should you rig them just to become a boxing match. <laughs> that clearly. That that's why I was trying to gauge like how much we accepted it was true. Because <laughs> I wanted to know could I rig it and still get a movie made with me as such a flattering character in a hundred years? That's what it really matters to me, you know. Uh Nick, why don't you go?
2: So one of the things that I like is they showed both Sam Elliott and Kurt Russell hit cowboys on the head with the butt of their gun which is a law technique they developed that's called buffaloing yeah. and you just got really good at cracking them in the head and knocking them out so you didn't have to shoot them you'd knock them out you would take them to jail they'd sleep it off in the drunk take and probably have a concussion but i just think that's fun it's called buffaloing I
1: was to say cte research yeah. has really ruined that strategy how many of those outlaws it's, had yeah. permanent damage nick Did you think about that? They didn't
2: make it. They died (laughs) at like 27. So it didn't, it didn't come up.
0: (laughs) Never really developed that far. Yeah. Fair. Okay. Uh, uh, I just want to shout out, we talked a lot about a lot of great performances throughout this movie. Uh, but you know, when we think about the great transformations of actors, we think about Christian Bale losing all this weight for the machinist. We think about Daniel day Lewis, basically transforming his entire lifestyle for some role. Uh, I just want to shout out that I saw this movie, I think, I want to say at least twice before I realized that that, that the first dealer in the Oriental is Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, dude. Uh, extremely overweight, and not extremely overweight, but for him, like for a skinny person, he just looks so different. It does not look like Billy Bob Thornton. It's so weird, and every time I watch the movie now, I'm just really caught off guard by the performance because I'm like, oh, yeah that's billy bob what the what the what's going on there how'd that happen this is a shot this is a
1: freebie and i guess i'll just move it hmm. up
0: i'll just make this one of my my straight thoughts
1: but this is a freebie um yeah yeah he at, had, was told to ad-lib all of his lines in that scene his only instruction was to be a bully Oh yeah. that was it <laughs> <laughs> kind of impressive
0: what a what a pro yeah we need to do we need we need more Billy Bob in Did, uh, in America these days.
2: Do you think Kurt Russell ad libbed like slapping the snot out of him? Probably God, I hope so. I hope he so. actually is that whole scene just ad libbed, because if so, awesome.
0: Now, who, If so, he's one of the all time best uh I'm gonna go with this actor. Because yeah. he really just lets that one he really just flies with it, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean and yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh uh Nick?
2: The Cowboys, historically, did not wear red sashes.
0: Ugh. God, That's good to know, because it. I was thinking the whole time, like, that's the dumb, like, there's no way they would actually do that, right? Like, I had that thought at some point.
2: Yeah, everyone just kind of like, knew who was associated with who, but I also really like that element of the movie to be like, yep, these are clearly the Cowboys. The Cowboys.
0: Yeah, from a, from a storytelling I'm standpoint.
1: Batman. Okay, sorry.
0: Unrelated. <laughs> uh, sp- speaking of Batman, <laughs> this is my last straight thought. According to Val Kilmer, screenwriter Kevin Jari insisted the actors real excuse me wear real wool costumes in accordance with the time period. In the birdcage theater scene, Kilmer says the thermometer on the set read 134 degrees Fahrenheit. I don't believe that. Kilmer suggested jokingly that was the reason Doc Holliday killed so many people. He wore wool in the summer in the Arizona Territory, and that must have made him mad. Uh, I don't know if I accept Kilmer's no. Um, no, character dead. motivation at that point. I also don't think there was 134. They'd
1: just be dead. I don't think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Are he you just suggesting melted. Val Kilmer could lie? No. Oh, Arizona man. hit 120 this summer, and it was the hottest month in Arizona history. All I'm saying is he's a liar. That's yeah. it. <laughs>
0: At any rate, uh, shout outs to those actors uh, wearing wool costumes. Good times. Shout outs to crazy directors, too. I guess Love that. that seems like one of those things that I'm glad we moved out of. I'm just like, this is
1: not necessary. Never been necessary.
0: Those those were the real days of filmmaking, Mike. Bunch of bunch of weaklings now. You know, that was the greatest generation. Truly. That's true. Um, like, again, just
1: going to read this as I wrote it because I can't be held accountable if I'm reading from my own script. I think that's how that works. Um, (laughs) Even though you wrote it? (laughs) Even though you wrote it, yeah. The law and order political platform was better in the Wild West when it referred to simply having to take a man's guns after he murdered someone just to give them back later. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When he's like, when there's the shootout in the street, he's just like, this is a law and order town. Gonna have to take those guns. I'm sorry about that, son. And you're like,
0: what? i like how he's so apologetic too like they're they're just all kind of a, they're like upset he's like sorry it's the rules you'll get him back it's like what the what
2: Dim be the rules tough times i'm glad you brought that up because my last stray thought is they showed a scene in the movie where virgil Earp is enacting a rule where you can't carry guns in town which was already a rule before they got there <laughs> like he didn't do that like that's actually a rule in a lot of western towns usually because there's a whole bunch of cowboys and stuff getting shmammered in saloons and they're like anything we can do to not like (laughs) people getting shot have them have a big (laughs) gunfight like that was just already a rule
0: on that note we're gonna take a quick break come back and discuss uh some elements of the movie a little bit deeper Hey everybody, welcome back. In this part of the episode, we try to dive a little bit deeper into some of the themes of the movie, try to maybe extrapolate and see what we can't talk about uh, on kind of a larger larger scale, so to speak. Uh, this one's a little bit tough because, in a sense, I think we've kind of keyed into it a little bit. This is a wildly erratic movie, mm. and mostly it follows with the tendencies of Western movies to be a little bit black and white in, in how they approach things. Where I think there is some greatness in the movie, but broadly speaking, I think it, it, it has a sort of approach that is very, you know, as compared to, let's say, for example, one year before this movie, um, we've already referenced it a couple times, but Unforgiven was released. And where that movie had, I think, arguably a more forward-thinking approach to the Western genre, it brought a lot of that gray morality. It brought a lot of those big questions, interrogations of the, of the genre and the themes of the genre, so to speak. I think this movie is a little bit more tonally standard to Western morality in terms of it's it's kind of just good guys and bad guys. The good guys are at worst borderline anti-heroes, but you know, broadly speaking, they, they kind of always do the just thing. Um, and the bad guys for the most part are depraved bloodthirsty lunatics. They might be really engaging depraved bloodthirsty lunatics, but they're still depraved bloodthirsty lunatics at the end of the day. Um, I guess what I'm curious about and I can sort of just throw it to you guys and see if you have any thoughts on it is what that says about westerns, I suppose to a certain degree, and then also what it means that we don't well and maybe this is actually just the question in and of itself is do we have movies like this anymore, and what is this kind of what does this say about how we approach these kinds of big budget movies? A um, few different questions in there. I guess Mike, do you have anywhere to go on that? any thoughts on that?
1: yeah i mean I, I think uh... Gosh, yes. Uh, yes, we still have dualism in our cinema, especially our big blockbuster um, kind of cinema. I mean, this is the framework of movies we've done a thousand times on this podcast. You know, go back. Let's talk about Pacific Rim, right? Pacific Rim is not trying to uh, <laughs> create complexity and nuance within the aliens invading us, right? It's there's good guys. They're bad guys. Yeah. Exterminate the bad guys. That's the answer to our problems today. Go watch um, a Marvel movie right and that's gonna be 90% of the time think of Doctor Strange it's like what is the motivation of the villain of that movie it's not anything complex he's got green eyes and he's bad right and he wants to kill everything so (laughs) he must be stopped usually with force so this is I mean this is I think a a duality that's as old as time but but what, what I think is really interesting about it with these kind of films is it's not even so much the blockbuster as it is uh, something we've like touched on a, a thousand times already, which is just like the comfort food quality of these kind of movies. Um, we were talking about rewatchability and we were talking about like which one do you want to throw on with a group of friends, um, there is something so unbelievably comfortable about a movie that is not gonna ask you to engage in, you know, a lot of complexity when it comes to its moral worldview or its ethical worldview. Um there's something that's really cool about turning your brain off and just knowing by uh, as we have praised in this movie, by knowing by what red gear they're wearing, about what side they're on and what needs to be done with them, right? That is comforting. And if we're looking for a way to turn our brain off and just watch something senseless, there's something that I think is very, is very I, I don't want to say fun. I don't know how to say it. There's something that's very, that that gives you what you want in that regard, right? Um, yeah. Now, that being said, is that necessarily good for you know the humanity um, is that good for uh is that like something that we're even grappling with i mean and will continue to grapple with in the history of storytelling of well what do those stories lead us to do when we come across like people that we other in the world especially as like bad guys how easy is it for us to think of you know afghanistan as the wild west and uh, to go in there thinking we're the good guys and they're the bad guys and that justifies us doing just about anything to like you know, bring order to the world. Like these kind of themes we, we always want to act like don't seep into us, but they do. Right. Um, so that, that's, I think what you have to grapple with, with, with movies like the Western, right. Is there is a part of it that rules, which is that I can just shut my brain off, laugh with some friends and really enjoy a movie. That's not going to challenge me or convict me or make me provoked in some way. But at the same time, I do think we have to all constantly grapple with um, their simplistic worldview and, and where we actually like let that kind of, become part of how we see the world too
0: sure and and i would even also add that like the the, the important thing is the recognition that the simplistic worldview presented is inherently unrealistic mm. and and like realizing how I, I started to reference this in the stray thoughts i decided to sort of wait because i knew we were going to get into it later um based on what i read you know according to his memoirs and everything he said later Erp himself took a very like Everything we did, we did because we had to do it, and we didn't really want to. Approach to like his own history, whether or not there's a certain, you know, he he's probably motivated to say that on a certain level by a lot of things, but it does start to kind of help you grasp the sense of, you know, what the the portrait presented in, in this movie, you know, there's nuance that's missing there, right, and there's there's complications that are missing there, and. I think that is the only the only thing that's dangerous about these, if you can, if you want to use that word, is when people can take this this kind of media in and start, and that starts in impact, impacting your worldview to a certain degree. And I'm not saying that is what it's not one to one that that's what happens, but I think that's the only part where I get wary is the idea that people can ingest this enough to where it becomes how you look at the world when it's not really accurate, even to the Wild West, which is, you know, which is a truly singular crazy moment in history, but still had nuance that is missing here. Um, Nick, what what are your thoughts on that?
2: I think the, this falls in the same genre of movies like John Wick and taken the revenge mm-hmm. film. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of the Hong Kong cinema stuff is revenge film. You killed my blank master brother sister wife everybody therefore i get justice by killing you back i think that's like a yeah. pretty standard theme for a lot of stuff and and i could i could see you don't want people to take their machine gun to chipotle right. but i think people also like like to think of there's also the counter of like, oh, if someone did this awful thing and then they go to court for 14 years and then this other thing happens where like there's something there's something simple about being like the good guy just old testament justice took care of it. Hmm. And I think like that'll that's a pretty common theme in movies. And it's probably it's appealing a, to people. Yeah, it probably appeals to a lot of people of of a, a simpler world view.
1: Yeah. Sure. Well, I think, I think that's, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's spot on. I mean, it is, it's a fantasy in that regard of wouldn't it be nice to live in a world where someone could just get things done. I mean, that's kind of like what we talk about with like the fascism of Marvel movies, right? Which is like, well, what's the fantasy yeah. behind Marvel? It's, wouldn't it be nice if all this chaos in the world was tied to like a bad guy and there was someone strong enough to punch that guy in the face and then it just goes away. And it's like, yeah. that's great. What a wonderful world to live in. Um, That's not reality. And I think, I think, Yeah, I think that's the complication of it all. Um, But I I also agree with John, what you said, and I think this builds really well into what, what you were just talking about, Nick, which is like, ultimately, the difference is, is do I recognize that this is fantasy versus like a reality that I can create or that should inform how I see my world as it actually is? Right. And I think most people, you know, can do that. They can kind of be like, this is just an escape. Right. To live in this, this space where justice is meted out immediately and fairly and justly and whatever else. Um, but there's always that part of my mind for the people who can't and who think like who look at something like Tombstone and be like, that's the way the world should be. Right. Um, I think that's where I, I get the queasiness. I, I, in fact, I think John Wick is a better example because like sure. we all we talked about this in our John Wick episode. We're all like, well, yeah, he should kill all those people. And you're like, someone killed his dog, and he killed, like, 500 individuals. And you're just like, (laughs) this is not how the world should be. This is not the world you want. Uh, But while you're ingesting it, it feels right and just. And that's alarming. There's something, like, alarming about that. You know what I mean?
2: I do think the interesting thing with Tombstone and really, like, the West, as it was not even that long ago, basically... 120 years ago was kind of like the end of the west like just before world war one which in the grand scheme of history isn't that long ago is there were so many there was the united states proper which was kind of like the east coast at the time and then a bunch of people kind of going rogue and going west and like they did govern themselves so there was an element of this kind of justice that was okay at the time because you had to you were you had to farm enough crops to keep everyone alive you had to deal with like native american tribes that were trying to kill all the white people that were moving in on their land you had people just stealing stuff from other people trying to get rich quick or maybe trying to survive you were dealing with post-civil war there were still people that were like were you a unionist or were you for the confederacy and they would just move west because they didn't they couldn't exist in the country that was so it is interesting as a period piece where there was a time in history where you go yeah it kind of made sense for lawmen to be more like the herps in this movie and now You don't want that to apply because the world is modernized so much and now people can be in contact and there's not like the same level of like, oh, I can just go to the grocery store to get food. It's not like I need to farm a certain amount of crops and I hope the weather doesn't turn. So I think, like, as a social commentary, it's really interesting when people put their that in their mind space now, because I, I agree it shouldn't be that way now. But there was a time not that long ago where there was a wild frontier where people wanted to read stories about adventures, which was yeah. basically what these stories about Lawmen and Outlaws was.
0: Yeah. And I think it's even kind of on the same line. It's so fascinating to realize that, like, people... You know th- this is a commonly returned to theme when you look at the history of, of the wild west and stuff it's so funny to realize that it was such a short period of time right it was it was it was such a flash in the pan moment before th- things got developed enough out there for you know the normal law and order that we associate with um with society but also uh there was enough people out there that you were having these kinds of encounters in this kind of situation that was really like, you know, you could even say as small as a, a five to 10 year window. At most liberal, like a 20 to 25 year window, but the yeah. edges of that are already getting pretty, pretty tough. And it's just so weird that, or it's not weird, but I think it's so telling that, you know, we can then have 30, 100 odd years, 120 odd years of continued art and, and storytelling. Based on this small window, that's how much that that situation sort of holds sway over our, our consciousness. You know that people think about that that being in that kind of environment, even if it's so unusual and so different. I think there's a uh, partially there's an allure to it. You know, there's a sense of like looking past the negatives of it and, and the practical, like having to to fight for your own food is obviously. You know, is obviously not ideal, but um but there's something that I think about, like we're saying that black and whiteness to it, that that simpleness to it, uh, I, at I, least in terms of how we perceive it, that that appeals to people. So Sorry. Go ahead.
2: I think like yeah I think the the what we see as like the West in this era was basically like eighteen seventy something like right after the Civil War to like nineteen hundred 1900, nineteen o two so it's really yeah. thirty years made this thing but I think people are drawn to this genre because like there's not there's not really a chance for like you and i you can't just be like i'm gonna change my life and go make it on my own i'm gonna go mine gold or i'm gonna go open a saloon in a place that's not even a state i'm just gonna do that and like there's there's not a wild frontier anymore and i think like that's what allures people to this genre.
0: Hey, everybody, thank you so much for uh, listening. Man, a good two hours. We, we, we still got in under the radar of Tombstone itself's length, and I think that's important. Um, we do have a final question prepared for each other, but before that, we want to let you know on next episode, we will be discussing Ocean's Eleven, the 2001 remake by Steven Soderbergh, uh, starring, of course, George Clooney, Matt Damon, and Brad Pitt. Maybe the most rewatchable movie of all time. If you haven't seen it for some reason, high recommendation on that one. Uh, but yeah, we have a final question prepared. Mike, why don't you go? Uh, yeah, so we've talked a lot about how confused this movie is genre
1: wise. Um, mm. and, and I love the idea of like Doc Holliday strolling through a movie that is just like completely deranged in terms of like what it wants to be. <laughs> So, with that in mind, what two genres would you smash together and then insert Chuck Holiday into for the best effect? <laughs> uh, can't be an epic western. It has to be
0: like sci-fi yeah, romance or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I actually have the answer, and it's so good that I almost don't want to say it. You, you have gotta to save this. you we got make to make a little money off this. To. I think if you made, and this could be just because I've been playing Starfield like twenty-four hours a day for the last two weeks, but I think if you made a sci-fi horror movie with Doc Holliday-esque Ugh. character yes. in the center of it, that that would be pretty sick. Like, not gonna. Like, I just think all those ingredients go well together anyways. It's the peanut butter and chocolate of genre fiction, and if you throw a Doc Holliday-esque Southern gentleman in the middle of it, <laughs> I just think that's a, I think that's a. I think that's a recipe. I think we got it. You know. That's
1: way better than mine. I was gonna say a, a murder mystery sexual thriller, but yours is way better. <laughs> so, I'm a big fan. What you got, Nick? I think.
2: I think it's got to be an '80s action kung fu movie. Oh, there we go. <laughs> if you just put Doc Holiday in Big Trouble in Little China, I think make, it's make still his great. body
1: look more like a triangle, and then like, but still have him just be Doc Holiday.
0: Yeah, for sure. I love that. I think the real lesson here is that Doc Holiday would just do nicely in a lot of other movies. Uh, yeah. I think you could just slot him in and and uh, with the Valcomer performance specifically. Of course. That all of that together, we could have just had that in every movie going on from then on. Uh, my final question is also Doc Holiday centric, but I went a different direction with it. Uh, in the last scene of the movie, Doc Holiday says, I'll be damned. And that also for what's worth is apparently a real was truly the final words of Doc Holiday. Uh, Supposedly, over time, the movie makes this explicit. In real life, we don't necessarily know for sure why he said it. Uh, The movie takes the most commonly accepted fan theory, so to speak, which is that he looked down and saw his bare feet, and he had always sort of believed that he would die as a violent gunman with his boots on. And so he looks down and sees himself bare feet and thinks, I'll be damned, and then he dies, right? Mm. My question for you guys with the weird caveat of let's try to keep it as light as possible, what deathbed circumstance would cause you to respond the same way? In other words, where you're like, I don't know if I would have thought that I would go out this way. I think for me, I can go first just because I want to set the toad light as much as possible. <laughs> for me, uh, again, keeping on the space theme, I guess, is just sort of my, my speed the last few weeks. I'll be disappointed. I'll be a little bit disappointed if I die on planet earth. I'm just going to say, mm. it. if I'm not in space, if I'm not in a colony somewhere on a, on a space station somewhere or something like that, it'll be a little bit of a, I'll be damned moment. I, I really feel like, you know, with, if technology keeps increasing, no reason why that can't be the future. So uh, that that's what I'm really hoping that I would be disappointed if I die on planet earth is what I'm trying mm. to say.
1: That's a big bar. Um, I think mine is probably listening to John describe Super Smash Brother tournaments to me, like if I died in the midst Man, of then... one of those <laughs> conversations, I just
0: I'll be damned. <laughs> Except for the it's sad kind of how... part is I'll be trying to. Well, I think, I'll be trying yeah. to keep you keep you alive. Yeah. I'll be like Mike mangoes uh, in top eight tomorrow you got to pull through a body you'll be like i can't i'll be damned i'll be damned i think i might have misunderstood the
1: question though because i actually think that's how i will die i think that's literally what's gonna
2: happen. <laughs> you just predicted
0: that's really what's gonna go down oh i always, I always tough, knew tough, it be tough tough like you. this not so
2: tough for me <laughs> wow nick any thoughts I think if I died in basically the office from Office Space. Oh,
0: God. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think that would be pretty disappointing. Because it'd be a similar situation to, like, the Super Smash Brothers. You'd hear someone being like, and I was setting up my Halloween decorations and blah, 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 blah. And then you just die and you go, I'll be damned. damned. And just croak (laughs) (laughs) under the the fluorescent lighting.
0: We really do go alone, huh? (laughs)
2: Man, well, on
0: that <laughs> on that sunny ending. Uh, thank you all so much for listening, Nick. Thank you as always for joining
2: us on this one.
0: Do you feel like we did did your one of your favorite movies justice? I had a blast,
2: so I think we did nice. great.
0: Kurt Russell slander aside, I think we got it. Um, Mike, any closing thoughts on Tombstone? John, I'll be your huckleberry. Mm-hmm. There it is. There oh, it is. is it I'm Daisy? It. Does I'm he call him a there. Daisy?
2: Oh, you're he a daisy both. if you yeah, do. And then he says you're no yeah, daisy. Yeah, it's, no daisy. Even yes, it's even
0: a even callback. It. It's even a great. callback. It's great. I like how he has like multiple one-liners in the same like two sentences. So good. You know, it's just like, what are we what are we doing here? Tube Stone, great movie. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. Take care. Annihilation.